0: Welcome to a bonus episode of Make the Shift. This is Behind Working Well in Wellington. Over the past six episodes, we've taken a look at how we can improve the mental health of shift workers working in the Wellington region. We've chatted to experts and taken a look at some of the science behind keeping shift workers mentally healthy. In this bonus episode, we'll be exploring how the Working Well in Wellington project came about and tell the story of how the toolkit was developed to help shift workers across Wellington Shire work better beyond the nine to five. Let's go right back to the start of the project to chat with now retired social worker Helen McAdam who first instigated the project.
1: My name is Helen McAdam And I'm the person who conceived the project Working Well in Wellington when there was funding made available by WorkSafe through their Work Well project. We were very interested in having a look at what we could do that particularly met the needs of people in the Wellington Shire. And I took a look at a few options. And what really struck me about the Shire of Wellington was that we have a hospital, which most shires have, but we also have a corrections facility. We also have quite a significant workforce that works offshore in the oil and gas industry. So I started thinking, gee, we've got a heck of a lot of shift workers in Wellington Shire.
0: Working alongside Helen was project manager Linda Hunt.
2: My name's Linda Hunt. I'm the project manager for Working Well in Wellington. Wellington Shire has a lot of industry which requires shift work. So oil and gas is huge off here in Bass Strait. There's manufacturing, transport and logistics, if you want to call them shift workers. Our our area is dominated by shift work. It's just so around us and so important.
0: Tasked with finding a project that could benefit workers in Wellington Shire, Helen got to researching the ways in which they might be able to help shift workers' mental well-being turns out in the beginning, there wasn't a lot out there.
1: I started reading a lot of literature around shift workers and mental wellbeing. And what I found was really quite surprising that there's a lot of literature about shift work and and physical wellbeing, but very little has been examined about shift work and mental wellbeing. And the more I thought about shift work and what helps our mental well-being in life, the more I thought that, gee, shift work is ripe for trouble. In order to have a feeling of mental well-being, most human beings need to feel a sense of connection with other people. Most people need to feel a sense of purpose, need to have a sense of control over what they can do. So I thought shift workers really miss out on a lot of that. Your shifts are controlled for you. And often shift workers are frontline workers. They're the ones that do the work that keeps that particular industry ticking over 24-7. So if the widget has to be fixed, it has to be fixed. There's no, oh, well, I'll do that tomorrow. If you're sitting in an office and you're researching like me, you can kind of do something one day that you really enjoy knowing that tomorrow you can do the other work. But if you're a shift worker, the amount of work that you do is really set for you. And and there's no getting away from it. If if there's a nurse and and somebody needs a medical intervention, you can't just say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. The lack of control, the unsociability of the hours. I started to think shift workers really have to think about their lives quite differently. I've got some friends who are shift workers and and sometimes, you know, you get a bit crabby when you want to do something with them and, and they have to work. And you think, how often do they cop that? oh gee, why why do you have to work that? Why can't you change your shift? And you realise that, you know, it's very, very difficult for them to do that.
0: There was a real gap in the research. How do you help shift workers maintain and improve their mental health? Well, the first step to doing that was to better understand how shift work impacts a person's mental health, before hopefully being able to come up with some interventions to improve it. Helen and Linda got to work.
2: We based the project off developing a mentally healthy workplace literature review, which stated that there's five key protective factors when building a mentally healthy workplace, which are organisational factors, job design, work and life conflict, team and group factors and individual biopsychosocial factors.
0: That research Linda refers to was developed by WorkSafe in 2014 to help workplaces maintain the mental health of their teams both Helen and Linda wondered how that sort of thinking would apply to shift workers. We look at how those five protective factors work a little bit in episode one of this podcast, but let's look at them in a little more depth here as Helen explains. The first is job design.
1: The design of the job means not only how well the job is designed to be able to be completed successfully, but also how much say the workers have in designing their workday. And the more that any worker but a particularly shift worker has in being able to design what they can do in their day and how it's done really helps to create a mentally healthy workplace. So the second one is organisational factors, and that are things like having organisational structures in place to help to protect people's mental well-being, having employee assistance programs, having policies and procedures that empower people to speak up against bullying and harassment because particularly if we're talking about mental well-being in the workplace, one of the number one issues is around bullying and harassment and organisations that effectively deal with that are going to have much more mentally healthy workers. The next one are team and group factors. So working in a supportive team with people that you don't necessarily have to like them, but you need to feel as though you're actually all going in the same direction, having a leader who can put a team together to make you feel, well, okay, we're all going down the river in that direction and I don't have a teammate who's trying to row in the opposite direction. The next one is home and work conflict. So where there is a lack or there is reduced conflict between the demands of home and work, your workplace is going to be more mentally healthy. And finally, it's the individual bio social factors, that we are all different. I come to a situation with my mental health history, as we all do. Some of us have had symptoms. Some of us have never had symptoms. Some of us have had experiences that have impacted upon our mental well-being in previous events that have happened in our life. We are going to be triggered by different things because we are different people. Put that all together and if you can have processes that deal with all of those particular factors, then you are much more likely to have a mentally healthy workplace. The interesting thing is the top three have all got to do with the organisation, not with the individual. There's only one of those factors that actually relates only to the individual. And the one in the middle is the homework conflict where the organisation and the family and the individual meet. And I think far too often we talk about making the individual resilient. But if you think about the five protective factors, it's about making the organisation better for the individual.
0: In order to look at how those protective factors affected shift work, it was time to get boots on the ground.
1: Linda and I got as immersed in shift work as we possibly could. The first organisation that we started with was Central Gippsland Health and our organisation is co-located at Central Gippsland Health, so we were on site with them. So we could actually go and talk to people during night shift and afternoon shift and talk to them as they were going on shift and going off shift So we were really able to immerse ourselves in and get really good feedback from what was happening for them at that time at 11 o'clock at night or 2am or whenever it was that we were there talking to them. Walking around the hospital at that hour really helps you to understand that particular workplace is quite different from what you would normally see in a hospital at two or three in the afternoon.
2: We started out by giving them a survey and we actually just asked them four simple questions. What do you like about shift work? What don't you like about shift work? If you're a manager, what would you do to support shift workers? And is there anything else that you'd like to see? We got
1: some really good responses from that. We used the themes that came out of those written responses.
2: Compiled those, identified the themes, then came back with our themes and ran focus groups to get a little bit more information from the shift workers to then start developing the co-design strategies. So
1: we followed up a lot of people individually who said interesting things. We invited people to focus groups. So we tried to immerse ourselves as much as we could in each organisation.
0: That original trial at Central Gippsland Health, or CGH, was then followed up at three other organisations across different industries. Dairy manufacturer Saputo, who have a plant in Mafra, Oil and Gas Contractors UGL, and Corrections Victoria through their correctional centre at Fulham.
1: We tried to understand their work as much as we could. So when we moved on to manufacturing, which I've got no experience of at all, and corrections, which I have very limited experience of. We used a similar sort of process as far as we could. We we also measured the mental well-being of the workforce. So we we used a, a Warwick-Edinburgh mental well-being test to test the well-being of that particular workforce population.
2: Something that we've really emphasized is it's so important to hear from the shift workers themselves. And one of the biggest successes we had, we actually came in at night, came in on weekends, came in really early in the morning. So we walked the talk. We weren't expecting to talk with shift workers between nine and five. So we always say we used to do late earlies. But they were so appreciative of that. And everyone was so willing to talk because they thought it was such a good project and they could see the influence they could have over the project as well.
0: The results to come out of those surveys and focus groups seem to on the whole reinforce the idea that shift work could be pretty taxing on mental health
1: We had some preconceived ideas some of them turned out to be quite accurate and others turned out to be completely inaccurate and that's that's the joy of, of research And we did find in most organizations the shift workers, Mental well-being was a little bit worse than the average population, so that was reinforcing what we were thinking in those terms.
0: And generally, it didn't really matter that there were four different organisations across four different industries. All the participants generally said the same things.
1: What we have found throughout Wellington is that the issues that affect shift workers affect shift workers right across the board we've worked in four different organizations in four completely different sectors but when we survey the staff the staff are saying exactly the same things in exactly the same proportions they're very clearly saying the good parts of shift work are extra money through shift work allowances in those industries that pay those allowances and some flexibility about not working nine to five does enable them to be able to do some things with kids and partners in different times. However, counterbalance that, the vast majority in the end, we're talking about 80% of the shift workers right across every organisation that we talked to was saying the effect on their sleep and their social life was profoundly negative. That just matches up with A lot of the research that's been done both in Australia and internationally that the two most disruptive aspects are around sleep and socialisation.
2: With all four organisations, the first thing when you ask them about shift work is fatigue. And the impact on family and social life, they're the most significant ones that people talk about. And if people struggle, that's what they struggle with. Definitely missing those significant days like Christmas and birthdays, and that definitely came up. By the end of it, we definitely realized there was themes, like it really didn't vary that much from organization to organization when just looking at the shift working aspect.
0: And a lot of those things, sleep deprivation, missing key events, uncertainty, all that sort of stuff, could be boiled down to just one thing rostering
1: really the major themes that came through were that rostering was the number one issue and if we could do something about rostering that would be fantastic people were talking about the fairness of rosters the predictability of rosters and being able to have more choice around rosters There are some people who would have loved to have done night shift for the rest of their lives. There are other people who would gladly avoid morning shifts for the rest of their life. Where people were happy with their rosters, they were generally feeling better about their work and themselves and their life in general.
2: With the health service, it was rostering. Um, They self-roster, so that was a huge thing. So it was a double-edged sword with that, though. They loved it because they could pick their rosters, but then they hated it because they didn't know what they were going to be working.
1: If you've got a good roster that takes your need for sleep and for socialisation and eating well and exercising well into account and your body clock fits that cycle really well, And those people were coping with shift work a heck of a lot better than than people who weren't.
0: But it's not just the employers that were imposing bad rosters on their employees. Sometimes employees were imposing bad rosters on themselves purely because it's what they thought would suit their lifestyle rather than what actually benefits their health. They found a lot of shift workers were really interested on how they could do shift work better but didn't really have any information about what shifts and rosters would work well for them.
1: What we started to hypothesize was where there was self-rostering and people could choose their rosters, were people aware that by choosing certain rosters, they could be more likely to be harming their mental well-being? Do people know that if they do too many night shifts in a row or if they do a, a night shift and then come back on an early shift or something like that, that that, can really upset their sleeping patterns and therefore risk their mental well-being. Would you do that if you knew that information? It was not only about managers imposing rosters that might not be that healthy, but was it also people requesting rosters because they didn't realise that if you keep doing this for the next however many years, you run a greater risk of developing anxiety or depression or something like that.
0: Some other problems that the team spotted were related to power imbalances between shift workers, either because they aren't the primary breadwinner for their household, because they're young, or simply because shift workers are often the grunt workers of their industries.
1: I think that shift work and the treatment of staff is very gendered. What I've found really surprising is that industries that are more traditionally male dominated seem to have better shift patterns. I found in the health sector a lot of the nurses, being in a traditionally female occupation, tended to have the second job and so their shifts had to fit around their partner, who the majority of whom's partner are men. Younger people, I think, are, are not treated as well as shift workers. It, it's almost as though you have to pay your dues and I, I've seen that in particularly in hospitality in health, in those sorts of sectors that, well, if I had to put up with those shifts, you start at the bottom and you do those bad shifts. And, and so I think shift work has a certain amount of discrimination built into it. I, I think that, again, for a lot of people, when you need to put food on the table, when you need to pay your rent, you need to work. And if they're the shifts that are being offered to you, then they're the shifts that you take. And often as you go up the hierarchy in an organisation, you move away from being a shift worker. It's that sense of going up the hierarchy to get away from shift work. And it was interesting because when we talked to the organisation around that, there was things like, oh, well, but everyone has to attend training. So we have to rotate their shifts so they can all attend training. Nobody thinks of actually having the training at night. And you don't see the people who work nine to five necessarily thinking, oh, well, for that particular instance, for that particular piece of training, I'll alter my hours. We just alter the shift workers' hours.
0: But that's not to say that management for shift workers aren't under a huge amount of pressure themselves to keep things going.
2: Working with corrections. There's always gonna be prisoners in a correctional facility. You can't tell them to go home. You can't send your patients home and say, Oh, look, we don't have staff. Even Sepito, like with their dairy manufacturing, um, the, the show must go on. They've got demands, you know, dealing with milk. They can't let it go sour at the back everywhere. It's just that twenty-four-seven society you can't put it on pause if you can't get the staff. And I think when you've got sick leave with shift workers, it just brings such another element to it. I've, you know, you witnessed when it's seven o'clock at night and someone's called in sick for night duty. It just puts a heap of pressure on everyone, but people get unwell. So you've got to support that. Uh, you know, talking to the managers of shift workers throughout this project too, someone was talking about getting a phone call on a Saturday night that there was a shutdown starting and they had to get staff there. ASAP, like, but yeah, just an almost layer of pressure, not for, just for the ma- for the management, but for the shift worker as well to address those needs of society.
0: Some of this seems to suggest that shift work can be a bit of an afterthought, The out-of-sight, out-of-mind aspect for managers and leaders who don't work shift work, or don't anymore, can mean that sometimes the needs of shift workers are simply forgotten about. One stark reminder of this is that training people to cope better with shift work isn't really a factor in many university courses, even in professions where shift working is the norm, like nursing.
1: Perhaps in the training, we're not thinking about the situations in which those workers are going to be placed. We're very good at teaching technical competence and technical skills and theoretical knowledge, but we, we almost expect then that the organisation will just deal with them when they're out in the workforce and we don't have to worry about that. I think when you're looking at a profession, particularly in, in nursing, where you know that 100% of your graduates, at least for the first couple of years, again end up working shift work then I think there is a duty for that educational institution to actually talk about that and to help to prepare those workers.
0: One of the participants in this study, grad nurse Jules, finds that there is a disconnect between the theoretical and the experience. Her first ever shift work experience, even after the university organised placement, came after she graduated.
2: We do touch on it at university about shift work and ways that we can find a work-life balance. But I think until you're actually in the thick of it, it's one thing to theorise about it. But then when you're actually practically living the shift work life, it's quite different.
1: I think education is changing, thank heavens, away from just teaching theoretical constructs to the practicalities of preparing people for the workforce. And preparing people for the workforce includes the conditions in which you're going to be working. Wellington
0: Shire is a rural area, and that itself places extra demands on shift workers that might not be felt in capital cities like Melbourne, or even larger regional hubs like Bendigo or Ballarat. Mafra, where one of Saputo's big dairy manufacturing plants is, for example, is just under three hours' drive from Melbourne, and doesn't really have the 24-hour economy that somewhere like a capital city might do. Which means that shift workers are working even more outside what the town and the infrastructure around it is set up to support. The workers Helen and Linda interviewed said it makes even something as mundane as the drive home a real occupational hazard
2: reflecting on our nursing cohort they're telling us they've got a 20 to 30 minute drive to and from work and one of their biggest fears was driving home after night shift 30 minutes to get home someone actually reflected on this they'd worked in the city prior you know you might be driving on a, a highway after night shift in the city but in country we've got gravel roads got a real concern with wildlife You've just got that added layer of caution when you're driving and so many times shift workers said, I'd drive home but I actually couldn't tell you what streets I went down to get home because it was just automatic and they were so tired. So that's such a big concern and I think that's something so different from the city but that's a reality of living in the country.
0: And you can forget about that late-night Maccas run.
2: We don't have as many places to go you know, even get food during night shift. So, for instance, Saputo and Mafra, we um, did a partnership with a local catering um, company to provide meals there because at night in Mafra, you cannot get any food. So if you forget your lunch or, sorry, if you forget your a nighttime snack. I don't even know what you call it. Dinner, lunch. Where can you go? Like, there's just nothing. So, you know, in the city that you might have a convenience store or something available to you, but in rural, you, you just don't. And I think that just makes it a little bit harder that you don't have that alternative. So it's so important for workplaces to actually have an option there for the night shift. And it makes them feel more supported as well. If they know they've got something, if they do forget, or if they actually just don't feel like it,
0: So, Helen and Linda compiled their data, and through their research, one big learning became apparent. Those five protective factors that they'd based their research on were all important, but they were not all equal.
1: We went into the project thinking they were all equal, that you had to put equal attention to the five, and then the world would be a lovely place. But three years down the track, what we've learnt from this project is it's kind of like a hierarchy. We've actually illustrated it as a triangle. The base of the triangle is job design. If you get job design right, and you've got people who are coming to work knowing what they have to do, when they have to do it, and they're comfortable and confident about doing it, and they've had some input into how they can be the best they can be in doing that job, and the job is well designed from a mental and ergonomic and all sorts of perspectives, then that's a fantastic base. There's no use doing anything there unless you've got job design right. Then after you've got those next three factors right, and a lot of that has got to do with leadership, then just concentrate on the individual. But they're only the tip of the iceberg. People will more naturally thrive in organisations that are doing all the other stuff well. And then you don't have to worry about trying to change the individual to fit into the organisation. The individual will be empowered enough to really contribute much more to that organisation.
2: Our project did have an emphasis on resilience training, but what we found, if you don't have your foundations in place, if you don't have your solid policies and then authentic leadership, you can't do resilience training without that and expect change. If you do resilience training without the underpinnings, you can be seen to be asking your shift workers or any workers to put up with a shitty work environment. If you've got poor job demand and job control and you give them resilience training to cope with that, that's not okay. You've got to start looking at your foundations and working through the layers before you can put the cherry on top of the ice cream.
0: So let's go through that triangle from the base. The most important factor, which as Helen has just mentioned, is job design.
1: So the design of the job, we talked about rostering, that's kind of the number one. When you're a shift worker, you're a frontline worker. So you can't just decide, I don't want to change that IV line. I don't want to do it now. I want to go and have a sleep or something. You can't do that. But there are things that organisations can do around rostering and around people being able to have some choice in the things that are not so urgent.
0: Once an employer has given their employee a job that they feel like they have some ownership of and some control over, and that it's not too taxing and provides enough of a challenge, the next thing to look at is organisational factors.
1: The organisational factors, things like having policies and procedures in place, but more importantly, actually following them and being fair about them they're very much in the organization's scope to do and every organization can overarch all of this work by actually having a mentally healthy workforce plan which has really good goals and dates by which they want to achieve things and people who are responsible for doing things team and
0: group factors are next on the list and the most important element of that is making sure everyone's pulling in the same direction
1: Organisations have a responsibility to appoint and train leaders who are good at leading, who are good at bringing groups of people together to accomplish common goals. That's what we all do at work. We, we, we come together, we have a goal and we achieve that. And if we have a good leader who helps us to understand that, and we know what we're doing and where we're going and what we know the outcome is going to be. Even if we don't quite get to the perfect outcome, we still know what direction we're going. And organisations have a responsibility to employ good leaders who know how to do that. And it's a skill, so they also have a responsibility to train people to do that if they're not so good at it.
0: Those three factors that form the bottom half, the most important part of a triangle, also form all the elements that are in the employer's control. And the difference is made when the employers do the hard yards in making their workplace a better place to work, rather than passing the buck on to their employees to become more resilient.
1: We spend a lot of time trying to fix people to actually cope with really, really bad situations. It's a lot easier to deal with empowered people in really good situations. That's what we've kind of learned in three years, <laughs> that, The organisations that have got the best chance of being a mentally healthy workplace do the really hard work at the bottom of the triangle. To me, it comes to a sense of authenticity, as in most workplaces, but particularly in shift work. If you've got good policies and procedures and the shift workers can see that everyone in the organisation is committed to them and is implementing them, Then you have a a sense of an organisation that's going in the same direction for everyone. The disconnect that happens is when shift workers see management not communicating clearly or doing one thing and saying another, then that lack of authenticity really rings through. Well, it's all right for the management. They're here nine to five. They're in their offices, whatever. They don't care. They don't understand. They're not here two o'clock in the morning when I really need a hand. In organisations that we've worked in, where there's been that just empathic human care that's shown by the organisational leaders, that makes so much difference. And when staff feel as though their work is appreciated and when it gets tough, okay, I can, I can survive this one at two o'clock this morning because I know I can pick up the phone tomorrow and my manager will, will have understood what I've been through and they will deal with me fairly.
2: I think that's something, especially in the last 12 months, what I've been having lots of conversations with people about is they can just call the BS on their leadership when they know it's not coming from their beliefs. You've got to really believe and be authentic about about it to make this a success.
0: Out of those learnings and those conversations with countless shift workers, managers and organisations came the Working Well in Wellington toolkit. As Linda explains...
2: The toolkit is essentially like our diary (laughs) with our process that we've learned, our learnings, our recommendations for other organisations to pick up and utilise and hopefully learn from our learnings and our successes and be able to implement that or replicate that in their own workplace. We're really trying to ensure that we have a rural lens on this toolkit as well. And I think that's so important to highlight is that rural is different than Metro. There is a lot of mentally healthy work Places, our toolkits um, out there like you can google it and find a lot of information but ensuring that's appropriate for your workplace can take a little bit of work and what we hope with our toolkit is that we've got that rural approach or lens on it and that real lived life experience it's not research by itself it's actually research then applied um, by action researchers on the ground
0: Scott Rebecca is health and well-being services manager at Saputo Dairy Australia one of the organisations that bravely allowed themselves to be guinea pigs for the Working Well in Wellington project. But despite the nervous moments in surveying your workforce to find out what they really think of their employers, Scott says there's been a huge organisational benefit in participating.
3: I think we've been so lucky to be part of Working Well in Wellington project that has allowed us to better understand what's going on with our workforce. It's such a, an awesome way to engage with your employees about their wellbeing
0: And he says the benefits will extend far beyond just Wellington Shire.
3: What we will take from that is can we then take some of that information across more of our business for our shift workers, for their families and for the managers to support shift workers so that we can look after them better than what we perhaps have because some of the great intel and the great work that's been done with the project and then we can take that out to the rest of our workforce across whether it be Tasmania or Cobram in the north or Ellensford down the west. The advice that I'd give to organisations is to probably try and better understand what's available out there. What are some of the things that you can tap into and participate in to get a better understanding? Also for organisations, to seek feedback from your employees, try to understand where they're at, better understand your workforce, understand your demographic, understand them more about what's, what's available in those areas as well. And then from there, work out, well, how do we support our employees?
0: Make the Shift is a podcast produced as part of the Working Well in Wellington Toolkit by Wellington Primary Care Partnership and funded by WorkSafe's Work Well Mental Health Improvement Fund. This podcast was recorded in Gippsland on the traditional lands of the Gunai Kurnai and Bunurong peoples. It was produced by Jetstreamer and voiced by Chris Plumridge. For more episodes, search for Make the Shift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. For more information about the Working Well in Wellington initiative or to download the toolkit, visit maketheshift.org.au.